Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, a podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. Welcome back to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Mark Dodgman, who is based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Mark's a lovely guy. I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. He really personifies this idea of business is far more than just a vehicle for making us money. You know, he really sees business as a tool for making social change and social improvement. And he's really embodied that in his businesses throughout many, many years. His first business being in real estate was very much dedicated to helping improve the local community. And and he talks a lot about him working within a one mile radius there of Nashville. And quite frankly, I was blown away with what he was able to accomplish in what seems like such a very small piece of, uh, or piece of land or area. But as you'll hear in this episode, there's a lot of metaphors and analogies being used. And, and he talks about that one mile radius being applicable to everybody. Right? What is your niche? What is the area you focus on? What makes you different from other business owners? And I just think between that and, and his focus on actually having a real purpose and making a difference in the lives of people around you, it makes for a very, very interesting story. Um, I know I certainly enjoyed chatting to Mark. I hope you will too. This is Mark Deutschman. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Simon. My pleasure indeed. Um, Mark, I know um, we're going to have a bit of a chat about um, the business village real estate that you built uh, over a period of time and ultimately sold. But um, before we kind of get into the guts of that particular business, maybe, maybe you could just give the audience a little bit of your background and kind of, a, I guess, what led to that particular business and that part of your journey. Well, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and when people ask me how I got here, I typically tell them that my boat caught on fire. Uh, I had worked for three years with killer whales up in British Columbia, Canada. And my second year, my little Zodiac engine caught on fire while I was surrounded by a super pod of killer whales. And I ended up sort of drifting and surfing into um, um, a little island. And I ran into two people, two hermits living on the island. And one of them is Joel Solomon. And he has become my lifelong business partner. So he was up there taking care of his health. His family was from Tennessee. When his father died, he was back in Nashville, and I came down for a visit and never left. Wow. And the story about it really is his family happened to be in the development business, which I didn't know at the time. I got a real estate license to help them sell some properties because I didn't have anything else to do. And I started 
telling people that I sold real estate within a one mile radius of Hillsborough Village, which was a little neighborhood commercial district in his neighborhood. And it just took off. Suddenly I was one of the top agents in town and it just led to a career. <laughs> so somewhat of the accidental entrepreneur. Very, very much so. I think I always had entrepreneurialism in my bones, but it was an accidental business venture. Yeah. Well, that's a very unique way of, uh, you know, being surrounded by killer whales. And uh, <laughs> that's, um, that's it's, cool. It's I actually thought when you said... story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when you said something about being um, having your boat on fire, I thought maybe this would be a joke about Nashville being landlocked. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, But no, that's, that's really cool. Um, so... When how did you go about starting Village Real Estate? Was it was it in partnership with Joe Solomon, or was it was it something separate? Well, I'd been I was going to something called Social Venture Network, and I was sort of learning from businesses that used business as a tool for social change. And I was selling real estate, and I was becoming again very successful with it. But I could see all these businesses like Ben and Jerry, and they were they were doing really good things with business, and I felt like I needed to start something. So in 1996, I started Village Real Estate Services with myself and two agents and sort of set out to change the way real estate was practiced. Um, I put 5% of the company into what I call the Village Fund. And the premise was as we started making money and started making distributions to our shareholders, which entrepreneurs are apt to do because they're the biggest shareholder, there's value in it for the community. And so we started giving um, funding to everything that helped with homes, neighborhood, and communities in the, in the neighborhoods that we were serving. And it became something big. It became a real attraction for agents. And we started growing an agent base. We called them change agents because we put them in as the face of the village fund. And when we made donations, they would be the ones who were the champions. And it became sort of a virtuous cycle. It became something that we could do and the city recognized it. And we, we, I don't know, people want to buy homes from people who are caring about the same things they care about. Yeah, um, I think people generally want to do business with people who, you know, believe what they believe, and as Simon Sinek said, and, yeah, you know, share those values. Uh, out of interest, did you, was it this intentional plan to grow it, or was it, did you find just that you were sort of attracting more and more people who wanted to work with you, and it kind of took on a bit of a life of its own? No, there, we definitely intended to grow the agent base and even at one point had, an, had a thought of going national. Um, but there was so much to do in this city. It was a city that had been a victim of sort of the car-centric society. People had moved to the suburbs. We had a hollow core. There was no housing. The neighborhood commercial districts were just a shell of what they are today. And there was so much good work to do right here. I think eventually I just said, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the best I can in this city, and that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, I love that you've got a community-focused sort of purpose drive to it. Um, so c can you talk us through what that growth path looked like, you know, over what sort of period of time? Of course, up until, I know, obviously, you sell the business eventually, but what did the growth path look like? How long did it take? Well, how big did it get? You know, what, can, you, can you give us yeah. some context around that? Sure. Um, we, it, it was fairly organic at first. We were working, you know, we were trying to focus on all the ring neighborhoods. We became a little, what much more intentional when housing 
we could see that other cities like Vancouver and Chicago were starting to build a lot of housing in the core. And so we made the intentional move to learn everything that we could about multi-residential sales. And so we started early on when, when bigger condo projects started happening in the city, we would get the listings. And so, you know, when the Gulch, which is a neighborhood here in Nashville, we listed a 400 unit uh, condo project. We listed 100 units here, 50 units here, 100 units there. We started listing all the big projects and that became a, an attractor because I had to put together teams. There was something to sell. People didn't have to go get all of their own listings and that became an attractor and sort of differentiated us from a lot of sort of suburban centric real estate companies that didn't have that niche. And so by, by the late 90s and early O's, we had started changing the plan as the city um, and we started thinking about allowing housing in what had been the central business district and it really started shifting. We went downtown and we, we really got involved in the plan of Nashville, which was a plan for Nashville's um, growth for 50 years. We got involved with the Nashville Civic Design Center that talked about smart growth and you know, using our river as the greatest natural resource and some other things that we started thinking about as a city. And again, that, that sort of become, became attractive. A lot of people came to us. I mean, I did, I grew the company through 2019 when I sold it, which we can talk about later. And I grew it to about 350 agents um, before I sold it. How, how um, 350 agents is, that's huge. I mean, what was it across the states? Was it particular areas? What, what did that look like? No, it's like? all in Nashville. <laughs> it was so, all Nashville. Oh, my goodness. I didn't Nashville, think Nashville yeah. would be able to support 350 agents. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, we're actually, you know, even I'm the chair emeritus now, and this is, you know, looking ahead. And, and I'll tell you a little bit about the story of selling it, but we've actually now merged with two other companies. We have somewhere in the range of 1,200 agents, and they're all locally grown. So we've become wow. uh, a seriously significant company. I think it's one of the top 25 privately held companies in the country, and it's all in Nashville. Well, it's, it's now spreading to Middle Tennessee and, and down into some other cities in Tennessee. Yeah, wow. That's really cool. It's um, And, and just, just for those who may not be aware, I mean, what, what roughly would be the population of, of Tennessee, but also Nashville? Nashville's getting on 2 million people. Uh, I can't tell. I'm, I'm not sure how many people are in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No, fair enough. Um, yeah, wow. Okay. Like, it just, I mean, I don't, um, I'm, I don't do real estate, so I guess I'd... You know, for me, thinking about that many people, it's geez, there must be a lot of uh, a lot of development, a lot of stuff happening in uh, in Nashville. Well, we are currently the number one emerging trend city, according to the Urban Land Institute. Um, we're the we're the city in in the United States where people want to come invest. So yes, we just attracted like Oracle with eighty three hundred jobs, and Amazon's coming with their five thousand jobs. There's there's a lot of job growth here. Yeah, that's cool. And where there's jobs, people will move. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, talk to me a little bit about your model there, because I, I, you touched on something there about having these big projects, you know, 100 units here, 50 units there, etc. And that, I mean, that does sound like an attractive thing for real estate agents. I mean, I, I, I think I'm used to seeing the local agent, right? And they're running around banging on doors and trying to drum up their business before they can even do the work of selling and so they can get paid and 
Um, it's that classic almost, even though people work in an agency, they're almost a bit of a lone wolf because they've got to do everything. Um, that's, that's how I've always envisaged real estate. So it sounds like you did have a very different model. Well, we still, I mean, yes, we still have agents that list and sell houses, the individual houses. And, you know, we encourage people to become listing agents when possible, because then the others can run around the customers and, um, take people in cars, um, but then if you start listing projects like this, there's a longer life cycle and you have to start working with, first of all, developer early. You have to help them think through an identification package. You have to work with them to give them design feedback for floor plans and, um, you know, think through the unit mix. There's some, sometimes you're starting well in advance of the sales process. And then you get to a place where you might have to pre-sell some units. And sometimes, you know, some projects you'll have to pre-sell 25, 30% of the units before they can even get a construction loan. And so we have to work closely. And of course, we love repeat clients, people who are local developers who keep coming back and building more. And we, we get to do it again and again. Yeah, fabulous. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I guess, you, you know, you've given me a high level there of the journey of the business, but I'm curious about your journey here as the business owner. Um, you obviously discovered fairly early on working with Joe that you had a, a knack for real estate and, and obviously sales. How did your role change though from being kind of an early startup and, and obviously you're, you're on the front line doing, doing everything probably, but um, how did your journey change as the business owner through through this sort of period? Um, a couple of things. I mean, you have to start, you know, if you're just an entrepreneur and a, uh, only responsible for yourself, you do everything. And I, I think I read the E-Myth pretty early on. And it basically says, you know, you need to find your best, you know, your administrate, your first administrative hire should be really, really good. And you should try to get somebody who can grow into your COO. And uh, indeed, I've been successful at doing some of that. I've got people who have been, been with me for 20 years, you know, you know, that have grown up and they, they do, you know, I'm, I can delegate a lot of pieces of business to them. Um, but I think there's a relationship thing too. You, you, you get to know a lot like agents, you know, it's a whole community and we like to have a lot of fun. Um, we did a lot of, you know, very various outings and social things with the agents. We tried to do bus tours, for instance, to take, you know, maybe we'd get two Greyhound buses and we'd tour around through the city and look at all the new projects that were coming up so that they could become educated to sell them. Um, and there is something about the relationship building that matters because agents don't necessarily stay with you forever. They come in, they might be with you five, six, seven years. They might go off and start their own agency. They might go off and join another company, you know, there's 350 agents who came through when I was, you know, growing it, but there's probably 700 that came through that are still working in the industry and other firms. And some of that had came back and really, um, you know, really manifested in a complete business cycle when I sold the company. Yeah. What about it? I mean, at the helm, being the leader of this organization, I mean, I, in my experience, and I've done everything from startups to businesses that have got solid eight figure sort of turnovers, I, I've certainly found that my role in the organization had to change. Um, and, and certainly many of the business owners and even guests I've had on this show have talked about their, 
their role as a leader having to evolve, sometimes people having to upskill, change, even change kind of how they're approaching certain things because the size of the business just really almost demanded it of them. Did, what, what was your experience like? I mean, as the, as the leader, did you, did you find that you were having to go through those kind of changes yourself? You know, I, had, I think I had some really good executive teams for a time. It seemed that I probably aired a little late and I got some folks in the company who were a little too reactive. You know, agents can be prima donnas, they're salespeople, they're, they're their own personalities and you can't just cater to every, every whim. And if you, if you start trying to do that, then you're spinning your wheels, you're going in multiple directions. And you had to change with the business too, because early on when I started the business, the splits for the company were much better than they were when I sold the company. And the agents have demanded more of that share because there's companies that are like Remax started first and they had the 100% model. So the models kept changing. We had to change with it. Otherwise, people would leave for a better model. And then you have to try to find other revenue sources too. So for a time, we had a mortgage company that we worked, worked with. We were partnered with Wells Fargo and we had a big sort of joint venture and that helped make more revenue per transaction. So you have to think through that kind of thing. Um, I still was sort of the chief cheerleader. You know, I'm a juggler by hobby and I was teaching like even in the last year I was, I would do this um, juggling on, we did juggling and music on Friday and so 40 or 50 people would come and we'd drink and we'd juggle. I teach them how to juggle and it became sort of a thing, you know, so you still have to stay in touch and become involved as a person. Yeah. Okay. So hang on. So are you saying juggling was an actual thing, not a metaphor for lots of balls in the air? <laughs> Here's my village branded juggling balls. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I think every entrepreneur is a, a, is a metaphorical juggler for sure. But that's uh, this is that's cool. That's a, you're the first person I've interviewed that actually likes to juggle physically. <laughs> well, I, used to, oh, I cool. actually, when I got to Nashville, I was a professional. I um, juggled knives and fire, and I did shows. I had a, I had a. Yeah, right. I actually had a. Um, what do you call it? An agent that would book me into gigs, and I do some big shows. I mean, I was did shows with Eric Clapton and some other big producers wow. here in Nashville when they came through. I'd get up on stage, and I had a Danger Man routine that I used to do. It was fun. So <laughs> now, now it's deteriorating. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, look, I, I, I keep laughing, saying to my wife, I'm suffering from old man's disease myself. Things just don't work as like they used to. But, but that's that's funny. I, I just think, you know, after you finish juggling knives and fire and things like that, I guess the risks of business probably seem fairly light. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, these are. Cool. Yeah, I'm I, I pretty much down to juggling balls these days. <laughs> no more danger items. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're no longer on fire. Um. <laughs> um Talk to me a little bit about the changes that are going on in your industry, because I, you know, I, I see that you started, I hear you started in 96. Um, I always remember 96 because I was at university and the, the, basically the very foundations of the internet had come about. Um, in fact, I remember, I remember a pal of mine um, dragging me down to the university library saying, oh, you've got to check out this thing, right? In the computer, there's this thing called the internet. You know, it's this thing that you go on and you can search for stuff or you can do things. And it was just so rudimentary. I'm like, this looks dumb. <laughs> um, it was just so lame back in the day. There was no Google. There was no what we have today. I'm, I'm with you. 
<laughs> yeah, right. You know, it was this kind of evolution thing. And so uh, I think, you know, you can see clearly in the last 20 odd years how the internet has changed how real estate sales are occurring, right? I mean, I think just purely the advertising side of it, the platforms that are available, um, you know, I imagine that's also put some pressure on uh, on commissions and things like that. Um, where do you see it going, though? I mean, like, you know, we've seen all this stuff happening. You talked about people changing models. Um, you know, I, I kind of keep seeing things. They seem to be constantly evolving in the real estate space. And I just, yeah, wondering, do you have a view on that? Where do you think it's going to go? How will it, will it affect your business going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. In 1999, I started... I had evolved and I started something that I was going to call the village referral network and it was going to be a national thing. And I took it out to um, West coast and I made a presentation to a panel and, you know, to see if they would potentially fund it. And they did, they said, yes, they said, yeah, we'd love to fund that. Here's a million dollars and you need to come to Silicon Valley. In fact, you need to relocate, leave Nashville, Tennessee, come to Silicon Valley and first raise 15, $16 million and we'll do this thing. And I went back and I was like, do I want to do that? I'm not like, I'm not the most techie of people. It sounds, and I'd be leaving my one mile radius and I'd be leaving my home in Nashville and I didn't do it. And then sort of the tech bubble burst um, at the end of 1999 for a time. And I was just glad I didn't do it. But now you see the Zillows of the world. You see these big real estate companies that actually took that model and they are stepping in front of the transaction. They're collecting referrals. So it wasn't a bad idea. I was just the wrong person for the job. Um, so the models changed. When, when I got started in the business, you'd get these big books every two weeks and it'd have all the listings in it. And you'd go to the back and look at the new listings. And then you'd call all your people. And you'd go pick up all the keys from the offices so you could show the houses. You'd go show all the houses and take all the keys back. Well, now there's lock boxes. You can send a search thing to everybody and let them see what they want to buy. You can, you know... You easy access with codes to get into the houses. It's, it's very different. It's, it's, you know, some of that is why I sold the company. It's like, I'm not, I'm not evolving fast enough to continue with all the trends that happened. And I sold it to a group of six people who came up through the company who are younger and smarter than I am. And, you know, they're evolving with the changes and they're making, they're, they're doing a great job keeping the company culture keeping the people engaged and growing the company in ways that I couldn't. So um, sometimes, sometimes when you can't evolve, you have to dissolve <laughs> and yeah, just let, yeah. it, let it go. Well, I think that uh, our, our regular our core businesses is Exit Advisory Group, and I think it exists fundamentally because we all exit our businesses one day, whether we like it or not. And most people will probably only exit one business and so it's quite unfamiliar territory to them um so yeah look i think that's this this idea of um you're going to hand the baton over um the rest of it's really just a matter of timing and terms so so yeah i think i think that's i think i think it takes a level of emotional intelligence actually for for business owners to be able to say you know these these next mob they can probably do it better than i can now um for whatever reason um so yes, like look, I mean, good on you for for being willing to take that step. Well, honestly, you know, since I've been selling multifamily residential, I've realized that the model of putting together those listings. So if I get a hundred unit listing, I'm the listing agent, and I control that product, and then I could put together teams. 
and they're happy to, they have an opportunity to sell a lot of product, but they don't get paid the same kind of split. I don't have caps or anything like that on these teams. And so it's frankly more rewarding financially. And it's easy for me to manage, you know, 10 different developments at once than try to manage 350 people. Um, so I sort of shifted into the piece of the business that I understand and do best. And a much smaller team, I'm so grateful to have a small team, like during the pandemic, for instance, we could, we could stay much closer to each other. And I only had to, <laughs> I only had to worry about 14 people. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that sounds uh, like a blessing. So remind me again, what year did you sell the business? Oh, I sold the business in 2019. 2019. So, so it's 2022 you're, and you're still working with the team, you're still working with the company? I'm still working as chair emeritus, meaning that I can wander the halls, talk to people who I like and make no decisions. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All the glory, no responsibility. Fabulous. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have a... I have a little book I wrote called One Mile Radius, and it's, it's about all this work in One Mile Radius, so I, I hand people books and stuff like that and say, here's yeah. the story of village, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cut the ribbons, do all those things, yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, let, let, let me take you back a step here for a moment. So, so you sold in 2019, you built this business. I mean, what led to the discussions of selling you know you talked about this group of younger guys coming through i mean how did that whole conversation precipitate just uh, one more preview to that you know i started core development which is a development company in in 2003 and we not only we we develop projects that we sell that my team sells so i've got a built-in product piece those two things were those two companies are doing well you know they've been successful and when I, in, in, in late 2018, I went on retreat and I had really, I started thinking that I was going to give the company away. I was going to give it to the village fund. I was going to give the whole thing away um, because I could, you know, I, I could have done that. And I put together like a 10 page plan to give it away. And then I took it to Joel, my best, best friend and partner and shared it with him. And he's like, really? You know, there was a place where I get it, you know, as a, as a large shareholder. Then I came home to my wife and I sat down with her and I told her my plan. And she goes, honey, don't you think that should be a family decision? <laughs> so then I took it to my entrepreneur organization group and they were like, they know the story. You know, I was tired of it. And they said, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all, is what they said. And so the next, like, Two weeks later, we were, we were planning our 22-year celebration, and we had this 22 in review, and we, we were giving away $100,000 from the Village Fund. We were topping it out at $2.2 million, and there was 450 people there, and it was a big celebration. We had jugglers and stilt walkers, and I was really proud of it. You know, I was really proud of what I'd built, but the giving, the, I couldn't figure out the giving it away thing, and that's not easy to do either. Um, and right after that party, I heard rumor that um, six of my agents and former agents were going to start their own company. And I called one of them in the next day and I said, David, what's up? And he goes, oh, we all grew up through the company together. We sort of want to be like you. You know, we think that we have some good ideas we want to put together. And I just had this notion. It's like, well, why don't you just buy in the village? And he said, I didn't know we could do that. And it was like an hour later, I'd sat down and I was sitting with the six of them. Um, 
And they're like, well, we want to buy a majority of the company. And I said, okay. And we want to buy the buildings that you have that house all the agents. And I was like, super. And <laughs> we have to in two weeks because we've already announced. And I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so, wow. So wow. It was just that kind of thing. And it, I, I was actually going on an adventure. I was going shark diving with my EO group. And we got on the plane the next day, and I was going across country because we were going out to Guayaquil off the coast of Mexico. And I got an offer. They put an offer together, like, overnight, and it came through the Internet on the plane, speaking of Internet, you know. And it was a good offer. And I sort of started walking up and down the aisle talking to my EO buddies, and we got to San Diego, and we got on the boat. And over the course of the next seven days is we are diving with great white sharks. So we went out and we were diving with the great white sharks. And I was in the captain's cabin every day doing, you know, phone calls with my team, organizing, putting everything together. I made a counter offer. They countered again. We got it done. And by the time I got back from diving with the great white sharks, I'd sold my business. So, wow. <laughs> another fish story. Yeah, yeah, another metaphor here of swimming with sharks. No, actually, they were real sharks, not the deal guys. It was uh, yeah. <laughs> that Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right. It's that's hilarious. You know, it's I I just recorded another episode just prior to coming on here to chat to you, and you are now the second person in a row who told me they did a deal in two weeks. I mean, this is crazy. People listening to this thing are going to start thinking doing deals is just a simple thing. You wake up one it's day, easy. two weeks later. It's, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> it is funny, though. We, we, we cut a deal, and it was a handshake deal, and this is where all the trust, you know, we had these, the relationships with those six people are deep. They'd worked on my teams. Two of them were partners in my core business for a while. When we made a handshake deal, they turned it over to their attorneys, and when it came back from their attorney, it was just drastically different and you know they they called me i think i was still coming back across country and they called me and they're like we made a deal and we're going to stick with that deal we're going to talk to our attorneys they were new they were too ambitious we're going to make it work and we got to do it fast we got to try to close friday it was just like that and and it's great that you guys were able to have that conversation i i have seen deals go south at that point because there was too many egos in the room there's you know sometimes i've and i've seen this is not that i want to pick on lawyers here because there's brilliant lawyers out there and we work with some excellent ones every day but you know i've seen lawyers get introduced to a deal and they just like they want to take over everything and run it and it's all about them and how hard they can screw the other side and it's like man all you're meant to do is document what we've actually agreed on <laughs> It's uh, the deal's done, right? I've it's, seen that um, too many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So times. it's 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 one of those variables, I think, for for those thinking about selling their business or perhaps even their properties, is thinking about who your deal team is. Who are the people around you that are giving you the advice? Are you all aligned? Do you all understand and have the same expectations? Because um, getting to that point of having a deal agreed verbally and then having it, you know, be blown up by somebody is is devastating and very frustrating and such a waste of time and money and effort. So, um, yeah, so yeah, people get in their positions and it messes. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to harden my position too. Then you know, and it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me show you how hard I can dig my heels in. <laughs> yeah, um, you're a jerk. Yeah. I'll be a jerk too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly. Rather than sort of 
putting down the emotion of it too. And it's, look, it's something I think even for business owners themselves, like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a lawyer that comes into it. It's, um, you know, I'm working on a transaction right now where um, there's an obvious buyer. Um, there's a long-term relationship with my client. Um, the buyers come in and, and despite knowing where the market is at, because we've got other, t- other offers on the table, they've lowballed. And, and my client is pissed off. In fact, insulted. It just feels like like what a low thing to do, you know. And I sort of saying to my them, company ever anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like okay, all right, you know what? But we could dig our heels in here and get offended and and react accordingly, or we can just accept that everybody comes to the table with a different view on different things and a different approach. And let's not take it personally. Let's go back and have another discussion. And yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if they don't want to buy it, you know, you don't have to sell it. Right, you don't have to sell it for what they're offering, but it's everything is a negotiation, and and I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm doing this already, but I'm gonna come back to this juggling uh, theme here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's a negotiation is such a sensitive thing, and there are so many balls in the air, and and I think, you know, this is this is why I think it's critical that you've got good people around you that you know you can get perspective and and help, I guess, take some of those balls if uh, if you've got too many in your in the air. Yeah, you can become a troop instead and have a juggling troop and we can all pass them around. You know, there is something, you know, there's something to the agent thing. You know, I was a real estate agent and I think one of the reasons the business has survived, you talked about the internet, I think it could have replaced us except that a seller and a buyer in homes even, they're in a different emotional space. One might be getting a new job, they're expanding into it, they're thinking about how much, what they're going to have to pay. The seller, you don't, they, they could have lost a job. They could have had somebody die. There's different emotions. And you need the agents to come in and represent the sides. And you don't necessarily let them get together and have that straight negotiation. You have the conversation and you try to build the camaraderie with the person who's representing them. And then you can be smart, good people and cut, come to a deal. You know, you can help your clients make the best decisions, even in their emotional state. So there is emotion in business too. And if you have a baby, like my business with my baby, you know, and if, if you start messing with my baby, I'm going to get mad, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you call my kids ugly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you got the deal, the deal all sorted. And as a part of that, you're, you're, you were obviously staying on. Um, did, what, what was it like for the integration and, and like, so you got the deal done. I presume you kind of kept it to yourselves at that point while you're negotiating, but two weeks is a pretty short time. What was the approach after? Like, how do you handle that communication piece to staff? How do you make sure that, if, you know, I imagine keeping everybody aligned and pushing forward and, you know, culture and all those sort of things are going to be pretty important. Yeah, we ended up, I ended up um, doing a press release. I actually did it before I left. I was going down and I was going to go to Mexico afterwards. And there was, there was a period of time where we were closing and I went down to our house in Mexico and I had to sort of be quiet. I didn't want to be in anybody's space because we couldn't let anything happen. But I'd made a press release before I went. And I also um, made a release of video to the agents because, you know, it was going to happen and, and they needed to um, hear it from me. So that was put together. But we had the press release and then it just it was all ready to go. But I think that, again, because it wasn't like unknown buyers, the people who came in, it was almost gave everybody 
hope. It's like you're seeing these agents who became very successful people in their own right able to come together and put together a significant purchase and take over and have a succession plan gives everybody hope. It's like, wow, that's incredible that people can, uh, and these, and these are my babies too. They're all, these are all people who I mentored along the way. And so it's like, you go, you know, you go. And now I'm seeing them go again. It's like, you go guys, this is amazing what you're doing right now. You're taking something that I put together, but I couldn't have gone where you're going with right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. I, 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 I'm one of these people, I think we all fit on a bell curve, right? Pick an issue, anything, any issue you like, where all the society sits on a bell curve. And I find with these transactions, at one extreme, there's people who think that the sky's falling on their head and everything is going to be going to ruin. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where people think change, ooh, opportunity, this is exciting, you know, and they're ready to embrace it. And, and of course, a lot of us feel, sit in the middle thinking, well, I just might just wait it out and see what happens. <laughs> um, so it, it sounds like you guys have delivered well on that and that you, you managed to get the consensus over the line and people positively looking at it. It's funny that, like, we, we merged with Parks and then Pilkerton, and we were always competitive with them. Like, they take agents from us, we take agents from them. It was a competitive field. And then all of a sudden, they're all scratching their heads. It's like, we're all merged now. You know, now we're all together. <laughs> Who do I pick on? <laughs> we had these bigger bucket of tools and everything. So, can't, I can't leave anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so tell me, how, how big was the firm? Can you give us an idea of that by the time you sold it? So um, 350 agents, I, mean, I think you said, but in terms of turnover and I mean, things like that? it was a billion, a billion in sales or something like that per year. And wow. I, it's probably seven or eight billion per year now. I mean, it's, it's grown pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's a big number. These are million dollar homes. And so you pack it in, but there is a mortgage company in the mix again. Um, I had to cancel my deal with Wells Fargo because the service proposition deteriorated um, at the time, but they have a great mortgage company that's very, very helpful. And they had, you know, there's a title company. So there's a, a bigger integrated group of things that are very good. And my team is actually the top team at, at the whole company right now. So I've, I mean, now I'm back to sales again. And I used to be called the best realtor in Nashville, in the Nashville scene. And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, he's back there selling the crap out of stuff again. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, so, so with a company like yours, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the guys put in an offer. I'm, I'm curious, like we see businesses being valued in different ways, right? Often as it could be a multiple of your EBITDA or net profit, you know, sometimes on multiples of earnings, contract revenues, discounted cash, all these different things. How did your business, what was the methodology that was used to sort of come up with a number? I actually had done an analysis before. I mean, I, had, I have a business broker. My wife is also an entrepreneur and he had helped her sell her business in 2016. And so I, I liked him. I liked the work they did. And they had done evaluation. So I knew sort of the EBITDA and the multiples for my business. Um, and I had it for all three companies. So, I, you know, the city living group EBITDA is lower than the village EBITDA because it's bigger. And core is a different EBITDA because it's a development group. And that's what we based it on. I mean, that was, we, he came in and helped me negotiate the deal. When, when, when I, when I, knew that there was a deal in place. I put together my executive team and everybody, and they all got rewarded for being quiet, you know? And then I brought in Mike Nolan and he came in and he was the one who was the go between negotiating the deal. So when I was calling from the shark boat, from the helm, I was talking to my executive team and Mike Nolan 
and then he would convey to them and get back. It was it really was a you know offer counter except it was really fast. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, without necessarily going into the actual numbers, can you can you share with us what what was the multiple that that you got? It was it was a five multiple. Yeah, cool. EBITDA. Of Justin EBITDA, yeah. And, That's good. Yeah, just from my standpoint, Village had become an investment company and it had these other sub-companies. And so we, we were heavily invested in neighborhood commercial districts. And when I sold the brokerage, I was looking at Village People, which is the name of the entire company. And it's a 25-year-old partnership. And I had another partnership, 1221 Partners. And it was like, I'm going to wind all of them down. And so I've been on a wind down. I've been selling everything, all, you know, all the real estate. Nashville's frothy. It's these values have built up. I've just been selling it and it's been, you know, it's been an incredible ride for my shareholders of 20, you know, since 1996 that I've been sending them checks since January of 2019, every month talking about some big asset that sold. So it's been fun. That's been the fun part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And um, and so where do you go from here? I mean, it's um, you, you've got one mile radius. You still got core developments. You're still working in village real estate. I mean, do, is there a um, you know is your plan just to work forever? Is there a is there a different kind of role for Mark one day? <laughs> yeah, I call myself a community builder, and so I've been I'm like I'm heavily involved. We've laid down a hundred miles of greenways in our city, and I've been heavily involved in it since, since the beginning. I've been the head, I've been the chair of the Urban Land Institute. We have 800 members and I'm heavily involved in thinking through the issues of the day. You know, I'm in the Mayor's Sustainability Advisory Commission and I'm thinking through how to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, I'm just, I put a lot more of my time into community these days. And that was, a you know, that was a blessing too because the village was taking too much of my time. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it is interesting. I mean, you started Village with this different concept, you know, and you're giving back and contributing to the community. How important do you think purpose is for business owners looking to grow? Our purpose, purpose outside of making money, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm sort of espousing what SVN taught me, which is use your business business as a tool for change. We put so much as entrepreneurs into the business and, you know, you, it's hard to separate your life from your business if you're going to be an entrepreneur. And so if you, if you go in and one bucket's your business and then you have one bucket that's your family and home and then you have another bucket that's community, what's going to left, get left behind if you're an entrepreneur? You're not going to be doing your community stuff. And so if you can build it in as a tool and, you know, pick your poison, you know, there's things that different people care about. Some people, are, you know, what's your, there's so many issues that we need to think about so many different social profits that need help and and just pick something that you really care about and and make your business a tool for helping with that so you you, you talked about rib, ribbon cutting i mean we're ribbon cutting greenways all the time and you know we've given a ton of money through the village fund and core fund now through to to that cause and other things affordable housing um, youth enrichment there's a whole bunch of things that help create community in this in the neighborhoods we're serving and the tools, it's not just the fun and giving, but the tools of putting your energy into it just pays, it pays big dividends. First, that's, Nashville's a good city. Some of it, we help, we help build it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I look forward to visiting one day. <laughs> Come on. 
district brother in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I should pop over and say hello to him too. Um, sorry, I want to ask you in, in a second, maybe if there's one or two kind of, I don't know, parting tips that you'd share with business owners who are who are perhaps maybe a little bit earlier in their journey than you are at the moment, who are trying to grow a business, who are trying to kind of maybe achieve some of the things you've achieved. Um, before I kind of put you on the spot and ask you that, though, is are you... Are you happy for people to be reaching out and connecting with you and 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 all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy sharing at this point as I can. So and people do reach out and try to help people when I can. Um, I'll tell them if I don't know anything about it and can't help them because I'm not that smart in most things. What's um, the best way for people to get in touch? Um, Mark at VillageRealEstate.com. Awesome. M A R K. We'll put a we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, are you happy for people to reach out and connect on LinkedIn? Sure, I'm a. I I don't do too much social media, but LinkedIn I do. Yeah, cool. Um, and as we always say on the show, if you do reach out to Mark on LinkedIn, please, um, if you're connecting, maybe put a little note, let him know that you heard him being interviewed on the Buy Grow Sell podcast, and he'll have some inkling as to uh, where you're coming from and why you're reaching out. Um, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all get spam, <laughs> spammed with all these people that are just randomly connecting, right? Um, Mark, can I put you on the spot? Can I ask you, I don't know, is there one or two tips, any sort of parting, parting wisdom you'd like to share with other business owners? Well, since I'm in the real estate space and, you know, the agents who came to me who wanted to get into the business, I asked them to, what is it that you do in business that nobody else does. And so what, you know, you have to define your niche. What is your one mile radius? Because if you go and you answer and people ask that question, you say, I'm a real estate agent. It's like, there's millions of real estate agents. You need to tell them something that gets their attention so that you get to the next, next sentence in a conversation. And so, you know, decide who you're going to be. And same thing in business, decide who you're going to be in business and just at least stick to it enough so that you succeed in that area first, then you can diversify. Yeah, great advice, great advice. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story. It, it sounds like you've had a wonderful journey and there's still a long way to go of you know, having a real impact, not just in business, of course, but in the community you're involved in. So um, really appreciate you sharing and, uh, and giving us your time today. Well, I would recommend that you come on down to Nashville and, and have a look. That sounds like a great idea. For, uh, for all of those of you listening, um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, as we mentioned, there'll be some um, links in the in the show notes for this um, for this session. And uh, feel free to reach out to Mark if, if that resonates for you. And uh, yeah, look, once again, we hope you enjoyed the show. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au.
And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. Thank <laughs> you.